In this episode of Severus Snape in the Sorcerer's Stone, I'm joined by a special guest host, Amanda, from the Fox and the Foxhound podcast. And we had Snape in the spotlight. Or crosshairs. You decide. We discuss chapters 8 and 9 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's or Philosopher's Stone, the Potions Master, and the Midnight Duel. We chat about Quirrell and his turban, what he may or may not have in common with pregnancy. We talk about Snape and his teaching ability, or lack thereof. We talk about Snape and how he treats Harry and children in general. We talk about Snape and whether there was a hidden message in his first interactions with Harry. We talk about other things too, but we also talk about Snape. Welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, who didn't read these books until I was a grown man. Now I'm taking you back through the series so you can feel like you're on a reread without picking up a book. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. My name's Zach, and I'll be your host throughout this journey revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that, aside from their impact on pop culture, also have one other key thing in common. That is, I nearly missed out on them completely, in some cases not coming around for over a decade. That's the belated part. But now, we're going to revisit them episode by episode, chapter by chapter, moment by moment, discussing world building, character development, character motivations, plot holes, theories, themes, and we're also going to give away meaningless awards. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today, we continue our reread of the Harry Potter series with chapters 8 and 9 of Sorcerer's Stone, The Potions Master, and The Midnight Duel. And we'll be doing so with a special guest that I'm super excited to introduce. But first, this podcast will have spoilers. We dissect each chapter with the character motivations and key moments that impact the greater story. This opposite, this podcast could also have some adult content and adult language at times. We'll try not to let it get out of hand, but you never know. That being said, we're going to get into this episode's play-by-play in just a minute, but before we get into that, I do want to introduce our guest host for today's episode, Amanda Wilson from the Fox and the Foxhound podcast. Hello! Hi! Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. You're officially the first guest on the Belated Binge podcast, which means that your tiny little fictitious trophy is not in the mail. Oh, well, that's fine. It, you know, it's an imaginary <laughs> trophy. I will place it on my shelf right now. Right. Although I'm, get, I'm getting Dundee's vibes at this moment. I, I feel like it should happen. What would they be called? The, if it's the belated binge, what would it be called? They, uh, they'd have to be the bingies. The bingies, I like it. It's cute. It sounds like bungees, bin- budgies, like the little birds. Yeah, I think it's got to be the bingies. Yeah, probably the bingies. I, I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to take a minute to tell us about your podcast? Sure. It, it feels. It was really cool to go back to like book one because it feels like it's been so long since we've been there mm-hmm. on our show. So I host the Fox and the Fox Hat along with my husband Kevin, who is reading the series for the first time as a forty-two-year-old man. So we're currently in book seven, kind of mm-hmm. the first third or so of book seven, mm-hmm. I think. But uh, you know, we kind of read it through the lens of marriage and partnerships. We were engaged when we started, and we've been married now for over two years. Um, Mm because it's taken us a while and we've got our first kid on the way. (laughs) So now we're starting to look at the series through the lens of parenting too, which is 
wild. So yeah, certainly a new wrinkle. Definitely. <laughs> what a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely right. a new wrinkle. I love it. And it's probably going to lead to several more. Just throwing that out there. Definitely, <laughs> definitely, yes. I've st- I've started to go gray since becoming a dad. <laughs> oh, it's just, already starting. I'm Pregnancy's done it to me. I'm already getting a ton of gray hairs <laughs> on the top of my head. I'm like, that's fun. Great, thanks, kid. Who I haven't <laughs> met yet. <laughs> right, right. Um, so the, I know the answer to this question, but I think it's a fantastic story. So, how did you come up with the name? Oh well. So I don't know if you remember or if you were even like if you had read the series when the Pottermore Patronus quiz like first came out. I've done the quiz. Yes. Yes. And I'm going to have to know your answer, too. So don't forget. (laughs) Um, Well, I took this quiz in the day it came out. What's my Patronus? Of course. I was so excited that I got a fox. It's been my favorite animal my entire life. I love foxes. I have like a spiritual connection to them. And I made Kevin take it. He had Mm -hmm. no clue what a Patronus was. (laughs) What are you talking about? You know, no idea. And he took it and he got a fox hound. So he got the little dog and we just thought it was perfect. So we always remembered that, that those were our Patronuses. And when we started talking more seriously about doing the show, that seemed like the logical name for it, which is, you know, pretty cute. But what's what's your Patronus? I'm dying to know. Well, I think you thought right. Uh, Mine was, and it's been a long time since I did any of this stuff, so don't ask me all of the questions, but (laughs) I do remember I got a Manx cat, which is basically just a cat. With no tail. They don't have tails. Do they not have I Honestly, I don't know. I don't have tails. I was clueless. I'm like, what is this thing? So I actually, I retook it. I got, I think I got a dolphin once. Ooh. I don't know. Dolphin's a good Patronus. Yeah, um, apparently it swims after your enemies. I Yeah, I don't okay, know. So, like, is the air the water? I, like, the, I have some questions <laughs> yeah, how about does the that, logistics of it. Yeah, how does that work? Does yeah. it only work if I'm swimming? Oh, how many Dementors if are the you Dementors... going to in the water, really? <laughs> it's very graceful. It's maybe not the most yeah. practical Patronus, now that I think about it. Yeah, but it's funny because I, I said I, I took it. I think I actually took it three times, and I think I got that stupid cat twice. You're really meant to be the tailless cat. You're really meant for it. I did. Is that supposed to mean that I'm like spineless and hate people? No. Because (laughs) no, Manx cat. I I have no idea why I know this. It's like useless information that's in my brain. I know they don't have tails, but they're super affectionate and very like loyal and sweet and kind. They're Hufflepuffs. Mm. Okay. Hey, like, I yay. <laughs> hey, I you were able to tie a bow around that that made a heck of a lot more sense than I was able to make of it. And this has been five years now. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy I could do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like and, Harry Potter passport, right? It's like, what's your house? What's your favorite character? What's your favorite book? Your favorite movie? Like the whole thing. You've listened to MuggleCast. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Clearly, I've become a Potter nerd because I listen to my podcast and i listen to you guys that's how i knew that you existed to ask you onto this uh onto this podcast i actually started uh, i can't even remember when i found you but i think you were somewhere in book five okay so naturally instead of just like listening to you i went back to the first book like i went all the way back i've listened like all the way through and caught up literally earlier this week i caught up 
No kidding. <laughs> Caught up to where you're at today. Yes. Congratulations. Um, so That's a lot of yes. episodes. <laughs> I'm, I would be lying if I said I got to listen to every single episode start to finish hopefully that's not totally offensive of course uh, not oh my god no we're thrilled that you listened to any of it (laughs) i got caught up so i i have to ask now i know you've mentioned some things here and there but what are you doing after because you're almost at the end you know i mean we don't totally know i know that we're gonna Mm -hmm. do all of the kind of like extra stuff right so like fantastic beasts Mm. We'll do, for better or for worse, <laughs> the two first two Fantastic Beasts anyway. Um, and if the mm. third one's out by then, we'll do that too. Cursed Child, again, for better or for worse. Mm. Um, yikes. Mm. And I want to do... Definitely- I'm not touching Cursed Child. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it now for the... <laughs> Unless there is an uprising on the belated binge social media or Patreon where they just really want me to do it, like I'm I'm not doing it. I have a feeling you're going to have an uprising. If I if I have a choice, I'm just I'm just not doing it. It's it's rough. (laughs) It's real rough. It is. Um, It is. But I will say, having seen it, it's incredible. I mean, that's what I've heard. I've read the thing and it doesn't, and my, my cop out, I can always say is it doesn't fit the belated binge like qualifications to be a series that we do because when it came out, I read the screenplay. So I wasn't late to Cursed Child. I wish I was late and maybe (laughs) it just never never. happened. (laughs) No, I, I, I take that back. I don't, I don't wish that I hadn't read it. I wish it was better. (laughs) Okay, so that's fair. That's completely fair. I mean, it is wackadoo nuts. So it is. It's, I can tell you right yeah. now, Kevin's going to hate it. If he I, really is. He's going to like super duper hate it. But he's going to love it if you take him. But I Because think you guys are theater people. Maybe we're going to have to just like take a little field You're going to have to do it. Yeah. And do it. And tickets are not impossible mm-hmm. like they used to be. And then I mm-hmm. think we definitely want to do some deep dives on characters. Like we want to do an episode on Snape. <sighs> Mm-hmm. Um, we want we're going to talk about him plenty so much today. So, <laughs> you know, what's beyond all of that stuff? I, I don't know, but we have no intentions of stopping. That's for sure. So I know he's going to make me watch Back to the Future at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, because he, if you, you've you heard the show, he's a little obsessed with I, Back I, to the I, Future. Yeah. And I'm not positive if I've ever seen any of them. <laughs> I haven't either. It makes you feel <laughs> Have you not? Oh my I just gosh. Haven't. Nope. You'll have to cover it nope. on your show too. We can have like a I, joint show. I w- I would do that. I probably wouldn't deep dive it just on my own. <laughs> I do have like I will say I do have um because I am apparently perpetually late on everything that's popular and good. <laughs> I do have several uh options that I can get into outside of Harry Potter on here that I almost started with before like doing what? harry potter <gasps> um oh you want the you're you're looking for like a sneak okay yeah, um yeah if it's a secret it can be a secret i totally understand well it, i i mean it whatever <laughs> hashtag keep the secrets isn't that a thing <laughs> um so i had a final four oh. that was truly more of a final three and i threw one in just in case it was harry potter okay sons of anarchy oh interesting never seen it okay totally not a kid's show who knew the office you've never and seen parks and rec and parks and no rec. i the qualifications to get on this show are that i have 
seen or read them and binged them, but I was incredibly late in Got doing it. so. Okay. Yes. I know it makes absolutely no sense for the premise of a podcast, so no. that's why I'm using it. Um, right. But that's how I like narrowed down what to what to focus, like I what to that. try. Yes. Yeah. Because you know, at those at the times that they were, I was deep diving into something else. I was late on from the decade prior. You know. Plus, um, it's nice to be able to binge the things instead of like waiting right. on for them to come. Right. Out. That was that was another thing about um, doing the show is I wanted it to be things that could be bingeable. I love it. You know, that way we could literally talk spoiler full, like see the impact, see the Easter eggs as they were laid along the path to where we were headed yes. throughout the whole thing. We are getting off, uh, off topic here a little bit. Um, but as we get into the actual segments uh, that we had mapped out here, I did want to say that I am going to try to make you feel as comfortable as possible on this podcast. So I do have a side game that we can play. Okay. Where there are a few points in my notes where I marked that in the way that I, um, or at least the voice that I heard when I like typed out the notes was my best Kev impression. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if once I, once we get to those points, you will be able to spot, does that sound like my husband? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm confident in my abilities, but I, I feel like I may be getting ahead of myself. I've decided if we knew each other in real life, we would either be best friends or we would all hate each other because we're too much alike. <laughs> That's going to be anyway. hilarious. So you want me to like, as I hear it, if I think it's one of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. A three shoe. I don't know. Dude, get my attention somehow. Okay. Okay, there's a part of me that's like, I want to know, like, okay, how many are there? But then I'm like, that's no fun. Oh, we're not doing that. Yeah, don't tell me that. Don't I, tell me that. Honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember how many there are. So this is good. we'll see. Yes. We'll see how it goes. I'm game. Uh, so let's get uh, let's get started with the, the show segments. And the first one that we do is the play-by-play -play segment. Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half-giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, hey, you're rich! Having a podcast takes a lot, and it's not easy, so your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also... Many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, GoodPods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. 
Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that'll unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons Discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. Excellent. Play-by-play. So on the play-by-play, this is where we run down the events of the chapter, similar to how a broadcaster would call a sporting event. You know, this happened, then this happened, this, then this happened. This is, this is going to be pretty similar to the way that you guys go through your show, talking about the notes and events and things that happen in the chapter. With chapter eight, the potions master, it starts with actually a ton of exposition. We learn that Harry is a walking sideshow at the Hogwarts carnival. People are constantly pointing at him and his scar. You, you have to imagine that he sort of feels like a snake at the zoo that except nobody's tapping on the glass or trying to talk to him they're talking about him he's just constantly on display for other people's enjoyment and i have to add like how jarring is this to you oh my god it's, if this is you i'm not i have no problem like being on stage as an actor mm-hmm. but being me the center of attention is like really not my favorite thing mm-hmm and especially what I find horrifying about this, if I'm Harry, is like, this is the kind of attention where people are trying to act like they're not looking at you and not talking about you, but they totally are. It's just, oh my god, it's so uncomfortable. It's it's like Gossip Girl meets Medieval Castle meets magical things happening. And by the way, this kid has a giant scar on his forehead to basically act as a bullseye. Speaking of the Hogwarts carnival, stairways going different places based on the day of the week, not literally moving in the air, but we won't get into that. (laughs) Vanishing steps, sentient doors, trick doors, fake doors, secret passages, probably covered by doors, ghosts, peeves, a maniac cat, which is basically 
all cats, and of course Filch, who might be the least human of everything that I just mentioned. The fact that any student not only find their way to class, but actually live through the first night is kind of mind-blowing. This place is a funhouse, and often the kind that horror movies have with a creepy clown with an axe. How do these kids ever actually survive? I'm like, this place is a death trap. This place it is. is. Oh my god. And what do they have? They have a prefect and they have teachers. Yep. And like head boy. Otherwise. And head girl. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, go, go figure it out and literally don't die. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, these kids, they don't know where they're going, but then they're also no. getting in trouble for being late. Like, you can't have it both ways. Right. Like, either tell right. the kids how to get to their classes, or they don't get in trouble for being late for the first week. Like, maybe that. Right. I, <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> it it really is. It really is. But Harry's surviving. Yes. Uh, we learn about a few of his classes, astronomy, herbology, history of magic, taught by a ghost, because why not? Sure. Who better to teach history than someone who's been there through all of it? <laughs> <laughs> we get an intro to Charms, Transfiguration with Prof. McGee. Before Defense Against the Dark Arts with Quirrell, and in a reread, uh, our movie eight spidey senses for Horcruxes are ringing just out of control. The room smells like garlic, he's wearing a smelly turban, and before we get to that particular bombshell, he said that he got this turban as a gift for fighting off a zombie. Is a zombie different in this world than an inferior? <gasps> Or had that just not been figured out yet, right? I feel like this is probably like a terminology thing. Like the same way that she calls the Deluminator the putter outer for like the first book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because to me, there can't be... What is the nuance there? If those are two distinct species in the Wizarding World, like, okay, in theory, are like less decayed. I don't understand what the difference is. I don't get it either. And it's it's going to come up again later. Um, oh, my that's God. I never noticed that. <laughs> that's amazing. Anyways, <laughs> this isn't a Walking Dead podcast. So let's <laughs> let's talk about the turban. When we met Coral in Diagon Alley a few chapters ago, he wasn't wearing it. But now he is. That's also the same day the vault stashing the Sorcerer's Stone was broken into after Hagrid emptied it, which we get at the end of this chapter. Right. But of course, on a reread, we understand that this was a failed attempt that was Quirrell. Yes. And that Voldemort punished him, and to keep a closer watch on him, he attached himself to the back of Quirrell's head. If I can channel my inner Kev on this one, this turban is hiding the fact that this dude has a snake man that apparently smells bad sticking out the back of his head. (laughs) This is a mullet gone seriously wrong, wizard in the front, serial killer soul possession in the back. Spot on. Spot on. I absolutely love it. I love the fact that you incorporated the fact that for some reason it smells bad. Because I've always kind of wondered about that. Like, why does it smell? (laughs) Why does the back of his head smell? Right. Like, is it specifically Voldemort that smells? Is it (gasps) Quirrell that smells? Whatever it is makes me want to Who smells in this scenario? I don't know. I don't know. Well, this... This is not the end of my questions. I have many, and I if you have answers to literally any of these, please, please tell me, because it doesn't. I doubt I how, will. <laughs> how is Voldemort keeping an eye on Quirrell with a rag covering his face and no ability to turn his head? 
he has to have like serious peripheral vision and some sort of oculus psychopulous spell to just like see through the turban no or he's just relying on the power of like legitimacy like maybe he can even see through quirrell's eyes for all we know that's really interesting because that was my next question at the he has to be tapped into his mind at this point right he has to be how much agency does Quirrell have in this moment? I feel like we never see Quirrell behaving in a way... Like, you know how they say that when someone's under the Imperious Curse in the series, there's like a certain way mm-hmm. that they act, right? It's like kind of a vacant thing. We never see moments like mm-hmm. that with Quirrell. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like he's got plenty of agency, but he... as Well, as much agency as someone who's like ordering you to do things. I mean, this is command hallucinations in a, with a psychotic disorder, right? Like someone's <laughs> whispering in your ear, like do these awful things. Yeah. I don't know how this works. And <laughs> it only leads me to more questions. For sure. What happens during normal human stuff? Like when Quirrell eats, does he sneak a fork around the back of his head to his oh. scalier half? But Voldemort doesn't have to eat actual food, but he might need his snake juice. His snake. Right. Milk. Like, <laughs> is it only unicorn blood that Voldemort is eating now? Or, like, he has to crave a slice of pizza once in a while, right? One would think, especially when you've been, like, a specter for yeah. the past several years. <laughs> like, you've got to miss. Even Voldemort has to have some favorite foods. Right. And, to, like, if Quirrell eats it, can Voldemort taste it? I don't know. What what happens when Quirrell uses the bathroom? Is Voldemort just, like, sitting there doing the crossword, complaining for a courtesy flush? Surely. Surely. Like, he's, and also, what about sleeping? Like, we gotta hope Quirrell is not a backsleeper. Yeah. Whose parts are who now? Is Voldemort's presence just limited to the structural backside of Quirrell's head? Or is he, you know, like I said, tapped into his brain? Can he control any parts of him beyond just telling him what to do? Could he have, could he have ever just kicked Quirrell out of his own body at any point? Or could Quirrell have ever kicked him out? I'm doubt. I think the latter probably not. In my head right. canon, I feel like Quirrell. Like once you're, you've got Voldemort on the back of your head, you're, like, you're, you're done. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like in terms of taking over his whole body, but you know, like the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, this is pregnancy. Mm. It's like having Voldemort so on the back Quirrell of Quirrell baby. <laughs> a Valdi baby on the back of Quirrell's head. Right. I mean, they're they're a little parasitic. Hmm. They're Mm. like, they really dictate everything you do. It's just funny to me, like this whole idea of like this other sentient, maybe sentient, I don't know, like kind of creature. And the the questions of like, how sentient, how like, Mm. how can you split those two ideas? I don't know. It's interesting. And that's honestly, that's a horrible segue into the next set of questions that I have, but I'm going to do them anyways, because why not? make it creepy what if like Quirrell has a thing for charity burbage or whoever the new muggle studies professor is or what if voldemort sees a particularly scaly garter snake slithering along sometime like what happens in those scenarios does the other feel the it's just it's gotta be it all comes down to the central question of like how much of a host is Quirrell Mm -hmm. right like Mm. can you be a partial host or are you a full host to me like if you're fully a host of another creature then you are at their mercy and to an extent i guess they're at yours but if he's just a partial host then maybe it is just limited to like you're just a vessel for me to like chill in but Mm. i don't like feel your feelings or anything like that 
Oh, I don't know. Right? See, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night and literally <laughs> why I started a podcast. I love it. <laughs> that rabbit hole aside, uh, this chapter is not about the defense against the dark arts. This is not about Quirrell or Voldemort. This chapter is about one of our other antagonists in the book. And of course, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Hagrid. No. Uh, wait a second. <laughs> it, we do get an invitation from Hagrid for tea marking Harry's first letter in the Wizarding World. Congratulations to him. But that comes right before we officially meet Snape. We're going to talk a lot about Snape today, particularly in the scouting report section, and uh, also beyond that, I think, as well. Okay. But for now, we're going to stick to the events in the classroom. In terms of Snape in this chapter, in the book, he's pretty much the worst teacher. Oh, yeah. If an 11-year-old student walks away from your class feeling as though you hate him, you're not playing the role of teacher properly. Oh, no. No, no. Now, I know that Snape has his defenders, but no amount of social media defender can justify that basic fact. It all starts with Snape doing roll call and taking a shot at Harry as the new celebrity. It wasn't solicited. It wasn't, I guess you would say, deserved. It's just this a teacher singling out a student in order to make the other kids laugh at him. Right. If Harry walked into class being a class count and like showing his ass, Snape wanted to take him down a peg. Okay. That that's teaching, but that's not what happened. Right. No, no, this, no. It, he didn't have a chance to say anything. No. And it's not isolated. It's not an isolated incident either. No. Right. It's just the beginning. You know, he then proceeds to, insult them as a group acting super snarky like i'm smarter than you because you know duh you're the teacher you're supposed to be smarter than children you're supposed to teach them you know make them smarter yeah yeah not belittling them and of course bang again unsolicited potter what would i get if i added powdered root of asphodel into a fusion of wormwood and that's going to come up later too Again, instead of teaching, he makes fun of Harry for not knowing answers to the question he knew that he wouldn't have an answer to. Exactly. This is all premeditated, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah. He planned to make Harry feel like garbage the moment he found out he was going to be in this class. Definitely. I think you you hit on a point that I feel like is something a lot of people don't bring up when it comes to Snape, even people who can't stand Snape as a character. They're mm-hmm. like, he's so mean. He belittles people. You know, I get very stuck on his criticisms of Hermione's appearance. And I think it's in book four when he talks about her teeth, mm. you know, like things like that. He He's awful. But at the end of the day, on top of that, he's also just a terrible teacher. Like... He doesn't teach anything. <laughs> no, it, and it's funny because everybody says that in book six, you know, Harry's being taught by Snape through the, the Half-Blood Prince book. And I kind of sort of agree with the premise because the only thing Snape is doing as a teacher is writing instructions on the blackboard and saying, make this potion. <laughs> right. <laughs> the majority of the times we see him when he's not trying to make harry feel stupid for not knowing the answers to questions in which granted when he does that he is informing the class of what the right answers are he's just doing it in a way that's kind of awful right but when i think about like great teachers i mean even slughorn like is a pretty decent teacher you know Mm -hmm. he's you think about his first class and he's motivating he yeah yes it's fun Mm -hmm. it's he's he uses the socratic method like he's a good teacher even though like he's a pompous so-and-so 
Snape's yeah. terrible. Yeah, let's be let's be one hundred percent real about it. Like every teacher that's a good teacher doesn't have to be nice and fun. Right. Like, you can have strict teachers sure. that are still good at relaying information to you. Absolutely. But they're not bullies, you know. Yeah. yeah. So again, you know, another question, another insulting remark, and on the third question, Harry finally shows a little defiance and says, "Why don't you ask for Hermione? She's had her hand up, you know." For every single question. The only student with their hand up and likely the only one that knows the answers. Some are going to say that Draco may have known the answers because a lot of people think that Draco was basically second in the class in terms of grades behind Hermione. And maybe he did know the answer to these questions, but Snape's never going to put him in the position to be wrong. Oh, And Draco didn't raise his hand. His golden boy. But Hermione did. Right? Absolutely. Right. And Snape's behavior doesn't improve throughout this class. He puts him in pairs, criticizes everyone except for Malfoy. He calls Neville an idiot. And when Neville's potion actually physically harms him, instead of perhaps, you know, helping him along the way, he just let him injure himself and embarrassed him in front of the class and had another student rather than himself take him to the hospital wing, by the way. And then he blamed Harry for letting Neville get his potion wrong and continued taking points away from Gryffindor for it. It's absurd. I mean, that whole right. thing when he's like, I'm going to I'm taking a point away because you didn't tell him not to make that mistake. It's like at that point, any doubt as a reader that you had that all of this was totally intentional and that he wasn't just a grumpy teacher like is gone. All that doubt. Right, right. It's at this point, it's not just incompetent teaching. At this point, it's a blatant attack on a student, not as literally as he's going to do in book six, but an attack nonetheless. He's, sure. he's an awful teacher. Um, he's a very intelligent, a very intelligent wizard. So before all the Snape truthers cancel me on social media, Snape truthers. he can you can work for the good guys and still be a crappy person or a crappy teacher. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. And I mean, just plain mean. And like you said, I mean, a bully. Yeah. That's the best word for him. Yeah. We can put a pause on Snape for the time being. Okay. After class, Ron hitches a ride to Hagrid's for tea and rocks, a cake, or whatever he tries to feed them. He tries to brush off that Snape hates Harry when Harry brings him up, but at this point, I've got to ask, should Hagrid have said anything about this? Because he knows, right? It's a lot to lay on an 11-year-old, but why a grown man, an authority figure, and with this being a boarding school, so truly a parental figure... For these children, why this person is singling you out and being you know, mean to you because he hated your dad. And Hagrid knows. I love this question. Should Because like, I'm inclined to say most of the time, I'm very much on the side of people just need to be upfront with Harry. I think mm-hmm. in this case, there's maybe a happy medium that would have been ideal, which is for Hagrid to say, you know, that's a conversation that we can have like further down the line, but I really mm-hmm. want you to just make up your own mind about him. Cause I feel like that's why he doesn't tell him, right. Is he's like, I don't want to poison his mind against this guy. I mean, maybe that's why he doesn't tell him or maybe yes. Dumbledore's told him not to tell him, but in which case just F you Dumbledore. Like that wouldn't shock me. Um, right. I hadn't thought about that, which is funny because every single episode of this so far has come back to the Dumbledore master plan. And it seems to be the running theme of this entire podcast series. 
Not that I'm a seer, but I think it's probably going to continue. <laughs> but <laughs> but I hadn't thought of it as maybe Dumbledore told Hagrid specifically not to. I thought of it more along the lines of like Hagrid didn't didn't want to make Harry like fear Snape in a way or also have that really uncomfortable conversation with this kid right like somewhere yeah teetering on those two things that tracks Hagrid is not Mm -hmm. a fan of uncomfortable conversations and he doesn't handle them very well yeah and I think like if we Occam's razor that that's the most likely (laughs) you know right because he's probably got dirt too he would have been the groundskeeper during the Marauders era Oh, he's got all kinds so of So he's dirt. probably seen, he's seen things that we never see in the series. Like, he true. was probably there for Snape's worst memory. He was probably there for some of the stories that we get little bits about uh, when it's referenced that the two never, never missed an opportunity to curse each other. Right. Wait, right. Like he's probably seen a ton of that firsthand. And I don't know. I think he's probably got some juicy stuff. He could have told Harry at any point in time and never did. Not just here. It's a good point. But never did. He really he never does revisit it with him. It never mm-hmm. occurred to me that Hagrid is absolutely like the keeper of all of the Hogwarts tea. Like this is a spin-off that I think everybody everybody wants a Marauder spin-off. But what if that spin-off and this just popped in my head so it's probably garbage. What if that spin-off is tr- like through Hagrid's perspective of the Marauder era like watching all of it? I love it because then you're not taking it aside as a storyteller, you know, because mm-hmm. people really come down on one side or the other mm-hmm. as fans of the series. I feel like if I'm a showrunner or if I'm a writer, the smartest thing to do is to tell it from the perspective of a neutral third party. Although we don't know how neutral Hagrid was. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. We don't. And I, and with how close he is to Dumbledore, it would be hard to imagine that he's going to, and how fond and ad, like admir, uh, admiratious, I don't know what the word is, how much he uh, reveres Harry's parents. Right. It would be hard to think that he would be looking at it on through like a completely neutral. We can't have Filch's perspective because that dude just needs to be hit by the night bus. The but worst. I don't. I don't know. It's it's interesting. And I don't know that you really truly need, quote unquote, a neutral third party to tell the story. I think you just need to tell the story just the, the and use the perspective of multiple of the characters along like the way, that. rather than it being you know, told how we get this, you know, this series where it's like all told through Harry's perspective. Like I just read today that there are 198 chapters in the series. How many do you think we have that aren't from Harry's perspective? Three? Four? I don't have the answer to this question. I'm just saying, like, it's very, very few. I think there's, like, two, because the third one that I think a lot of people would bring up is still Harry's perspective because he's dreaming it. There's two I can think of. Well, I'm thinking the other minister. Yeah. We have Malfoy Manor with the Death Eaters. Those are the two I'm thinking of. Yeah. How about the first chapter of the entire series? Okay, there's three. Man. I don't know of any others. Yeah, there's three. And then the fourth opening Goblet of Fire, but that's still Harry's perspective. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, yeah. out of 198, I mean, when you put it in numbers like that, it's mm-hmm. jarring. Right. Yeah. So if the Marauders story was told 
through each of the key characters in it, you could avoid some of that. You could even build that bias in a positive way for making the show stand on its uh, anyway we are not showrunners maybe we should be we should um, be i agree hbo max call us um this visit is also where our little heroes to be learn about the break-in at gringotts and again haggard won't meet harry's eye and if nothing else harry ends the chapter knowing that haggard is the worst poker player ever which takes us into chapter nine the midnight duel And if the last chapter was the introduction to Hogwarts antagonist number one in Snape, this is just the section of the book where we get all of Harry's worst antagonists in one shot, because this is Malfoy's chapter. And don't forget Quirrell's turban discussion earlier, we're legitimately getting three of Harry's biggest foes through the entire series in this one little stretch. All that's missing is a pink toadstool. Oh, don't even... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the good news is it happens during flying lessons. We get some intros about certain characters' experience and excitement levels about flying. Neville gets his remember all, which ends up being the most important package that Harry gets in this stretch, and it's not even for him. Malfoy had to be a bully about it, of course, and Prof. McGee does nothing about it because bullying isn't as serious as being out of bed at night. And we head out to fly some brooms. Harry's a natural. His broom reacts to him immediately. Neville is not a natural. He accidentally drops himself from about 20 feet in the air. We know how it goes. Hooch takes him to the hospital wing. Malfoy talks some shit. There's some fake tough kid nonsense. And then Malfoy finds the remember-all on the ground. Harry and Malfoy exchange some pleasantries. And Malfoy flies up to try to show off. And Harry reacts instinctively and goes up after him. This is when two things happen. One, Harry feels exhilarated. He had no idea how to fly, yet there was nothing he would rather be doing. We get the sense that he's never been a natural at anything until right now. And two, this is also where Malfoy's tough guy act starts to really waver. He didn't expect Harry to be able to reach him, but he can. And when Harry threatens and reminds him that he doesn't have his bodyguards and Crab and Goyle up there in the air, Malfoy realizes he's right. And he's not about that one-on-one life. So he throws the remember-all as far away as he possibly can. Harry dives, catches it, topples gently onto the ground, which we can assume means maybe a little tuck and roll? Did he land on his feet and, like, run a little bit? Is this the bicycle kick from Goblet of Fire movie that I know you love so much? How do you picture this landing? Because I've given it no thought until this reread. I picture it's (laughs) got to be a tuck and roll because that's the only thing that isn't infuriating to me. <laughs> God, I hate the Goblet of Fire movie so much. <laughs> That's fair. They should be on little like unicycles when they come down. Oh my God. Balancing plates on those things. I don't know. It's not a necessary leg motion, you guys. Like, why are it's, you doing it? It's it's a circus act, is what it is. <laughs> Either way, he's elated and enter Prof McGee and that elation just plummets. And one thing I'd forgotten that was really interesting in this reread is Pravati Patel in this chapter, she's the first to stand up to Malfoy about Neville falling, and she defends Harry to Prof McGee too. She's a low-key real one in this chapter. Yes, I had forgotten that too. Completely escaped my mind. It's, I feel of, like she gets a raw deal, you know, like right. you don't get to know her enough, and no. she is, she's a legend here. <laughs> yeah they once you insert lavender she becomes a little different 
Yeah. But in her one-offs where Lavender's not around, she's actually got some really cool moments in her like three paragraphs of page time. Right? Yes. Of course, Harry thinks he's being expelled as McGee calls him into the castle, but instead she grabs Oliver Wood, sneaks the two into an empty classroom to have a secret little Quidditch meeting, and we see a whole new side of Prof. McGee. The sports fan, McGallion, sports wagerer, if you listen to Binge Mode, I know that you did. (laughs) And by the way, everybody brings up the is wood a cane she was going to use on me thing so i didn't want to spend a ton of time here but it's 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 a funny throwaway line it is so funny oh my god it is she gets special permission for harry to be on the team makes a nice little comment about his father being excellent quidditch player and that he would be proud cue the waterworks for the guys out there whose first if not only best friend is their dad Oh, so sweet. I wrote a song a few years back, um, similar to Macklemore's Same Love, except almost nobody listened to it and it had zero commercial success. Uh, but one line that still sticks in my head today is, my dad's my best friend. I'd be lucky to have two. So I like this part of the story. Oh my God, I love that. Anyway, Ron's freaking out. Harry's the youngest player in a century, perhaps since Dumbledore's first year, which is a super fun Super Garland's Brothers theory. Where does that land? Have you heard that? No. So I, I, I'm curious where this lands in your head, Canon. The theory that they have is that Dumbledore went to Hogwarts and started at Hogwarts a century before Harry did. Okay. And that Harry is actually the youngest House Quidditch player since Dumbledore. Okay. I like this theory, but it makes Dumbledore a real asshole for making the like rule... Mm. that first year did he make it did he make the rule why do i feel like the the first years can't have brooms thing is like i feel like it could have been a headmaster i don't know if we have it in the canon i feel i feel like it easily could have been a dip it rule okay so that's a good that's fair it may not have been dumbledore's because imagine can you imagine if he's like (laughs) he becomes headmaster nobody's breaking my record nobody else has well, I'm going to mm-hmm. ensure nobody else is going to break my record. Yeah, but they, the the way they stand this up basically is that he won like every notable thing and had done pretty much everything that you could do as a first year Hogwarts student to yeah. be like the most impressive that's ever walked through the school, and that could but easily include being on the Quidditch team as an eleven year old. I really, I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's Dumbledore. Like, and maybe the rule was in place there, and they made a special exception for him because he was so great. I kind of like that warms my heart a little bit because I love the idea of like Dumbledore being so close to Harry because he sees a lot of himself in Mm. him. Like, I I think that's very heartwarming to me. (laughs) And you know that my husband is convinced that Dumbledore is like his grandfather, like not really, but he just keeps calling him his grandpa. Yep, granddad. Mm -hmm. He just will Mm -hmm. not stop. Granddad. (laughs) It's (sighs) it's one of my favorite Kevisms. (laughs) Then of course. Malfoy shows up with his goons and challenges Harry to a duel at midnight. Hermione gives him crap about it. Ron and Harry strategize like idiot 11-year-old boys are going to do for a while. And my personal favorite is when Harry asks, what if his wand doesn't do anything? Ron says, just throw it away and punch him in the face. (laughs) Although one thing that um, I had forgotten about too in in the way that Malfoy poses the duel, he said, wizard's duel, no contact. Oh, Basically, you can't punch me in the face you because know. I'm a wimpy little 
anyway. And he's got a really punchable face. Like He really does. Malfoy is the... I know that people try to give him dimension. And Kev said this forever on your show. Draco is incredibly two-dimensional as a kid. And he's literally just the awful bully for... Basically until book six. And even yeah. in... And I... Yeah, it as a character, he's he's the worst. Until it's too late for him to really do anything about it. And that's... I got into a whole, like social media thing got yelled at by some draco like uh oh people love draco well yeah and it was it was in the and we won't go down this tangent yet but it was in the vein of at what point do you stop blaming his father and upbringing for every single one of his actions that he chose to do at this point you know i jury's out but anyways they set off for the fight in the bathroom i mean duel in the trophy room <laughs> they, pick, they pick up a couple of stragglers along the way hermione giving them grief about it the whole way and getting stuck with them neville who never made it into the dorms was sleeping in the hallway and of course the whole thing was a setup malfoy wasn't going to show up he just lured him into the trap and filch knew where they were going to be after hours uh, they all run make a ton of noise and nonsense as you do Peeves tries to get him caught, and they end up face-to-face with Fluffy in their hiding place. You know, the three-headed giant dog that guards the out-of-bounds room that will kill them painfully that Dumbledore casually mentioned on the first night. Sure. Yeah. As you do. They survive. (laughs) They make it back to Gryffindor Tower. We get a couple of iconic Hermione lines about being killed or expelled, and she is the one who noticed the trapdoor that the dog was guarding, and the Easter eggs have all now been planted for the main plot in the climax of our book. Did we miss anything? Not that I can think of, and I've got got my book right here, and I've been looking through, and I think you covered it all. Okay. (laughs) That's great. So that takes us into the scouting report segment of our show. Scouting report. Perfect. I can't wait. <laughs> the scouting report is where we dig a little bit deeper into a single character. What we learn about them based on the events of the chapter and how that might inform the rest of the books to come. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Snape and I'm going to bring a specific theory into the discussion and hopefully you're going to have a whole lot to say. But... Let's start here. Snape is perhaps the most polarizing character in this entire fandom, to the point that if you point out any of his flaws, particularly on social media, you will be visited by one of his many defenders. Seriously, you can board up your windows or move away. They will still find you. I find it fascinating, and I have a couple of theories that I would like your thoughts on here and on Patreon, which we'll get to in a second. One, I think some people just don't like rooting for the mainstream hero. And because Snape turns out to have been working on Dumbledore's orders and on his side during Harry's lifetime, there's a certain type of person who would just rather get behind him as a misunderstood hero instead of rooting for Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think there are people who accept Alan Rickman's performance in the movie as canon Snape. Rickman gives a very compelling performance and, in my opinion, adds some dimensions to the character that simply aren't present in the book. This is where I wonder if we could do a bonus episode for Patreon. We've talked about this a little bit about that casting before, and I think we could have a really fun discussion over there. I'm so down. Yes. As a reminder, if you become a patron, you can get early access to ad-free versions of the episodes. You can also get bonus content like theory deep dives that we do on Theory Corner. We'll do award banquets at the end of each book. We'll do more character discussions. And this week, more Amanda. 
Your support Woo-hoo! on Patreon is literally how we'll be able to keep making new episodes and trying to keep the show going as well as growing. So we do appreciate that support. Back to Book Snape. Yes. So your first point, mm-hmm. or I should say the fandom's first point, right? Like mm-hmm. this, I, I, I love what you said. And I think that's so true is that people don't, people don't like rooting for Harry. Like I think about this, I think it was like a Tumblr post that I read one time. And it was like, can you imagine like what dork's favorite character is Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> Literally nobody says that Harry is their favorite character. Right. No one. Even though... And you've heard our show, like, we do a winner and loser kind of thing. I give it to mm-hmm. Harry a lot as winner. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as an adult, I appreciate Harry more. But I think yeah. you're right. I think people are ki- are contrarians. A lot of people are contrarians by their nature. And if something is too popular, then they find a reason to hate it. Yeah, it's almost cliche to root for the main character. Exactly. You got to like somebody else. <sighs> and are you a real fan if you don't like a deep cut character? Uh, right exactly yes and the answer is yes the answer is yes you can be a real fan (laughs) and still like the main character i am a big fan the older i get i'm a big fan of let people like what they like Mm -hmm. and yeah to me it's another way of gatekeeping in the fandom you know it kind of is but that's a that's a good point because i do want to say that neither of the hypotheses that i described are meant to be an indictment if either of them describes you that's fantastic you see things differently than I do that we do, but that's just, it's a layer of the fandom that I actually like and think is really fascinating. We can all read the same words on paper and come away with completely different interpretations of the story. Oh, I think it's awesome. It's great. Now I will say if, if you're a huge fan of Snape, I just me, me personally, I will judge you a little bit, just a tiny, tiny (laughs) little bit. <laughs> I can't help it. I can help it. I could make a choice not to do that, but I still find myself being a little judgy about it. I've gotten in so many arguments about this. <laughs> I mean, my favorite example is my sister-in-law, who's like a moderate Snape fan. We, mm-hmm. she was with me when I saw Cursed Child, and we were in the lobby during intermission. And having a heated discussion about Snape, and I said, of course, it got really quiet when I said it. I said, Snape is an incel, like really <laughs> loud. And I got a lot of looks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you do. And that's, yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, I've made my thoughts pretty clear on his behavior in this chapter and as a teacher, as of you. But there's a theory that I did want to bring up for the scouting report segment. And that's the first thing that Snape asks Harry is Potter. What would you get if I added powdered root of asphodel into an infusion of wormwood? People have picked this apart, and apparently, I don't know if you've heard this theory or not, but according to Victorian flower language, asphodel is a type of lily, meaning my regrets follow you to the grave, and wormwood means absence, and also typically is symbolized bitter sorrow. So people have combined this to say that it literally means I bitterly regret Lily's death. I mean, that tracks for him. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm not sure that I have heard that. And what I do feel like I remember hearing is that this, the whole ultimate Snape line with mm-hmm. Snape and Lily was one of the first kind of plot points that the author had decided on. So mm-hmm. like it kind of where there's a lot of things that I think probably ended up blossoming after book one was complete. To me, like it makes sense that this is one point that she's like planting a seed no pun intended you know for this this early interesting 
Yeah, there's another piece of this too. There's actually a couple, but I'm going to skip to this one because it's the most interesting for the conversation. <laughs> uh, is that it, Snape does say in the chapter, if you combine powdered root of asphodel into an infusion of wormwood, you'd brew a sleeping potion so powerful it's known as the draft of living death. Yes. So the question is, is this Snape trying to tell us that the ingredients, which his regret over Lily's fate together, actually reflect what his life is now? Living death. I mean, I guess, like, you could convince me that that's true if it was, like, a Freudian beneath his subconscious kind of clue. In no Mm -hmm. way do I think that this character is capable of, like, dropping those breadcrumbs. For anyone because yeah. I don't think he cares about being understood that's see that that's interesting to me because I think it's I think it's a fantastic catch from a literary perspective but truthfully I think it's crap you think because, it's, an, it's like an accidental kind of thing well no I I'm not even saying that it wasn't intentionally written that way but it doesn't excuse behavior Oh, if I insult know. you and make you feel like garbage about yourself, it doesn't make me a better person if I put a secret coded message in that insult that you don't understand. So are you saying that, like, you've heard this theory within the context of people trying to, like, defend Snape? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that's BS. This, this is proof that Snape was a good guy all along. And what he was really doing was trying to tell Harry, I'm sorry for your mom, buddy. Um, no. Like, no. I give that a big... It doesn't work no way it it just doesn't work for me (laughs) it definitely doesn't whenever i reread that i always get caught up on draft of living death because i'm like okay flash forward to book six that's how harry ends up winning the felix felicis which we know Mm -hmm. how important that ends up being right you know which of course i i don't in a million years think that that was an intentional plot point i i don't I mean, maybe it was, but I don't think it was. I think was. it was just a pullback. Needed a potion for him to make. Exactly. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. My two cents, um, which is probably not worth one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> one thing that I do, I mentioned earlier, and now it's, I guess, is as good a time as any to bring up, is Dumbledore's big plan. We know that Snape is, as Kevin would say, serving two masters. Yes. He's at Hogwarts on the orders of both Dumbledore and Voldemort. But he's an awful teacher. We've established that. Yes. So I'm going to ask you, is there any other possible job that he could be doing while still fulfilling both of these roles? Oh. Otherwise, why the hell does Dumbledore let him anywhere near kids? Right. Like, I could think of some hilarious positions, like being like the Quidditch coach like can you imagine um <laughs> but well because he he would have to be close enough to dumbledore in order to yeah. have their little like secret meetings he would have to be close enough for dumbledore to keep an eye on him to make sure that he wasn't double crossing him and he right. would have to be close enough to dumbledore and in a believable enough spot that voldemort would think that he was actually doing the thing he was supposed to be doing and spying so yeah. is there another role not teacher I think there is a role, maybe not at Hogwarts, but I think there's a role for him in Hogsmeade somewhere. Like mm-hmm. he has some kind of like apothecary that's sort of like a little bit of like a mob front kind of thing. Because, you know, Dumbledore pops into Hogsmeade a lot. So he'd be able to kind of keep an eye on him, but maybe that's too far away. I guess he'd really need to keep him in the castle. That's true because I think there's also a layer to this that Voldemort probably, when he put Snape in that post, I'm going to use air quotes, was also hoping that since he couldn't get the Defense Against the Dark Arts job and make a little army and recruit students, he would hope that Snape would have at some point in time been able to do this. So, I mean, the first thing that popped into my head was Filch's job, but, like, he can do magic, so what's the point? And 
would it be a believe in a believable enough position? Right. And probably yeah. not. I mean, I feel like it would have to be something like maybe Madame Pence's job in the library, which I mean, she's incredibly unpleasant. So, like... Could you imagine? <laughs> ah, you put that <laughs> book back. <laughs> That's great. Uh, That's, now, anyways. that sounded like Kevin's Rickman impression. Was that a Kev moment? <laughs> it was. <laughs> It was not. You actually missed several of those. So um, I did. Damn it! I'm like know. not terribly perceptive. <laughs> <laughs> that leads us perfectly into our next segment of the show, which is our foreshadow segment. Ooh, yes. Foreshadow. Yeah, we're gonna hit these kind of quick because I did ask you to put together four moments uh, that foreshadow something to come later in the uh, in the series, and that's literally what this segment is. It's four moments that foreshadow something to come. And for our little sports um, theme, just for fun, it, I was thinking golf. You know, four, four. yes, anyway. okay. Oh, I get it now. It's all clicking. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, I have the vanishing step mentioned in the one. beginning <laughs> it's mentioned in the beginning of the potions master and it foreshadows the knight and goblet of fire that harry gets stuck in that step underneath the cloak he drops the trivisor egg clue his marauders map and ironically that is a chapter where snape is also terrible and it's really funny that it's the first one that you had it's absolutely the first one i wrote it with a little number one in a circle and everything <laughs> <laughs> For any other reason, did I admit, like, is it specifically that night that you were thinking of? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Nothing yeah. with Neville falling in it, like, a hundred times? Nope. Okay. <laughs> it was absolutely, just, just like, very typical, like, only as it pertains to Harry did it come into my brain. Right. Well, speaking of Neville, the second one that I have is Neville asleep in the corridor in the Midnight Duel because he forgot the password to get into the common room. Oh. This this becomes a common enough occurrence that in Prisoner of Azkaban, Neville writes down the passwords for the week. Of course, this nearly gets someone killed because with the help of Crookshanks, the cat, Sirius Black gets in, Ron wakes up with a wanted prisoner with a knife over his bed. Of course, he was after the rat, and that would have been the someone that could have gotten killed, but the characters don't know that yet at the time. Yes. Oh, good one. Good Thanks. one. What was your second? My second one is in the potions class when he says, let's try again, Potter. Where would you look if I told you to find me a bizor? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Foreshadowing the, in book six, mm -hmm. how Harry saves Ron's life completely with a bizor. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And it didn't make my list. It didn't make my top four, but it's a really good one. Which is funny because my fourth one, I'm, you know, we'll get there, but it is a little <laughs> bit of a cop out. My third one is Alohomora. At Ooh. this point in the Midnight Duel chapter, Hermione is a completely annoying know-it-all who's giving our two main characters at this point grief at every turn of event that they have. We don't yet have a golden trio. This adventure is a cobbled together aluminum foursome, but it's the first time that these kids are together and Hermione saves their asses by knowing magic that the others don't. This is going to happen at least a hundred times in every single book that we read from here on out, and there's a reason that there's a lot of people in this fandom that say the series should have been named Hermione Granger and the thousand times I saved these two idiots or whatever you want to call it, but this is the first. They would a thousand percent be dead without her. Like early oh, on. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, like immediately. Immediate oh, death. Yeah. 
but not necessarily in this moment because without her they wouldn't have gotten to face the three-headed dog it's a good point she did kind of lead them into that potential death trap door. but they really needed to see the three-headed dog to be they little did. nancy drews mm-hmm. oh yeah. oh hermione that's a complicated complicated right. role <laughs> as it is as it as always it seems to be what was your third one my third one is Harry's broom jumped into his hand at once, but it was one of the few that did. I just love that this is the first mention we get of Harry flying because flying is like his becomes his so thing so many times in the series how at home he feels on a broomstick. Yeah. So this is that first. I love it. Yeah. Yep, that's <sighs> that's a good one. My last one is this is where it's a bit of a cop out. Um and it's okay if you call me on it, but I'm going <laughs> with the endings of both chapters as one foreshadow. The potions master ends on a deliberate foreshadow with Harry catching a glimpse of the prophet article about the green gods break in and Hagrid being unable to play it cool. And the midnight duel ends with Hermione plot splaining to the boys that the giant tri headed pup was standing on a trap door guarding something. The light bulb goes off for us about the same time that it does for Harry. Maybe we got it first, but these two pieces of information give us everything that we need to know about where we're headed for the climax of this book. 100% not a cop-out. I love that. I think that's great. Oh my god. And you know what? My my fourth one, my final one, is kind of an abstract one myself, too. Yeah. And it's Harry in the lead without any idea where they were or where they were going, which... That really sums up the series, doesn't it? Harry's in the lead with no idea where he's going. <laughs> yeah, it it really should have been Harry Potter and the friends that keep me alive or Hermione Granger keeping these two idiots alive. That probably should have been the name of the he's books. very reckless. We could have just alternated. You know, book one, Harry leading these people into danger. Book two, Hermione getting them the hell out of that danger. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It reminds me of another <laughs> Tumblr post I saw that was like, Harry Potter, the series, a summary, Ron and Hermione, Harry, no, Harry, Harry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> but then we, what would we have to podcast about? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I love this series for a reason. And Harry is, is not not absent from that equation at all <laughs> even if he's not your favorite character or anybody's uh, that leads <laughs> us into <laughs> our next segment uh the game of inches a game okay. of inches the game of inches is where we theorize about how the story could have changed if one small event in the chapter that we're covering had been different for this i'm often posing questions with the hope that listeners can kind of come up with their own thoughts their own theories suggestions opinions on how it might play out inside their own headcanon if one small tweak was made in this chapter but today since you're here you get to react with whatever comes to you love it so here's the scenario that we're going to play out and that is what if harry didn't bite on malfoy's bait for the duel Ooh, this is a pretty big moment for our golden trio and for Neville, for that matter. Without it, they never stumble across Fluffy. Hermione doesn't see the trapdoor, so they have never been able to put two and two together about the stone, where to go looking for it, and thus be able to try to go protect it, right? 
Right. Yeah. It's really an important turn of events. Yeah. And we also, we don't get the first adventure with them together. Perhaps the troll thing maybe still happens. So they could still possibly form their little trio, but it doesn't form some sort of like, this has to be some sort of foundation, right? Aside from literally learning where the book's climax is going to happen. It still is kind of that first foray into the I don't know what you want to call it going sneaking out and doing mischievous hero things even <laughs> though this one is completely unheroish. <laughs> well, it's it's like you said about Alohomora, you know? I mean, it's I feel like this is an important moment where they see even if they're not super cognizant of it in the moment because they're running from Filch, they see I hate to put it in these terms, but Hermione's value to them right they yeah they kind of see how they how they can work together how they can feed off of one another in a very very rough sketch version of it while they're dragging neville along with them speaking of neville this is his first moment of bravery ish but more than that he's in on the secret he knows that they go out sneaking around, laying the first bricks for him to stand on when he's trying to stop them from going later on in the book. Yes, because really all he's doing is exactly what Hermione did, what he saw Hermione do, and got inspired by that. Yes, oh, so true, which is such an important moment for Neville. Right, of course, he gets paralyzed by a combat advance, you know, Hermione, where, speaking of, where did she practice who taught you that spell, girlfriend? I like, <laughs> You don't just read that in a book and whip it out. I mean... You, I feel like I, McGonagall taught her. I feel like maybe oh, for some reason. Oh, so you're thinking off page we have some little tutorage sessions from Prof. She McGee? Gave, she ends up giving her the time turner. Like, I feel like there are some there's some individual bonding happening between those two. The question is, how does that impact Quidditch? Because that's the only way that she's doing this, is if it somehow benefits Quidditch. And there's got to be a way. It's like six degrees of, sep- of Kevin Bacon. Like, mm-hmm. there's got to be a way. It's got to tie into Quidditch. Yeah. <laughs> is she thinking that Hermione can use the time turner to blow the snitch in Harry's direction? Absolutely. You know, like, she's like, yes, use it for your studies. And in her head, she's like... If we lose a match by some kind of like crazy little margin of a split second difference, then I'm just going to tell her to go ahead and use the time turner there. Mm-hmm. She's very strategic, Megalian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's It's got to be that. But that was the moment that gives Neville his final 10 points to win the House Cup for Gryffindor. Yeah. And without this, does he ever have that courage? Where are our golden trio without this first mission out and about after hours? Where is Neville without his first moment of bravery and being a part of something? Yes. Where does this book go? How do they manage to find Fluffy in the trapdoor? You know, I just don't think that they do. I feel like truly without this interlude. So really, we have Malfoy to thank for all of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Without this... Really, the events of of Halloween still happens with the troll, like you said. But the events of the night when when Quirrell's really trying to get the stone, all of those things happen. But our trio doesn't really necessarily know any of it's happening because it's Mm -hmm. all a ripple effect. Yeah. Ooh. So Mm -hmm. nothing. It would be a super boring book. Thanks, Malfoy. (laughs) So one decision, a truly bad 
decision lays the groundwork for where we're heading in this book and puts our four, yes, four heroes together on their first mission of sorts. Yes. So important. I remember Kevin saying early on in the series, I'm starting to gather that this author doesn't write anything accidentally. Like everything <laughs> is on purpose. That's fair. You, you know, I don't want to read a book full of fluff anyway. So. That's 100%. Yeah. Okay, let's give away some meaningless awards before we get out of here. We will start with the game ball. The game ball. So the game ball is, this is for your show, this is the winner. Oh, that's good. what okay. the game ball cool. is cool. Um, in sports sometimes if you have a good game the coach will award you with the game ball as a I did not know trophy that. for that yep <laughs> I know so nothing about sports. this is get right and that's that's kind of the uh that's the running theme through all of these segments are sports themed but you don't have to know care or like sports at all in order to get the show uh, but this is Hermione, right? You know, for trying to talk some sense into these boys, albeit failing miserably, for realizing they were set up by Malfoy and there was never going to be a duel in the first place. Thus, I think at least starting to get them thinking of things a little bit more like chess rather than reacting without thinking. For Alohomora, for getting them out of Filch's crosshairs, for noticing the trapdoor, and of course, for one of the most iconic lines of the books, if not the series. Oh, yeah, the line about being expelled? Yes. So who is yours? Mine was, in to no one's surprise, based on our earlier conversation, I give it to Harry in this one because of how he stands up for Neville um, and just because of his sheer balls, really, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's this kid. He's freaking 11 years old. He has no clue anything about this world whatsoever. He was raised by people telling him what a horrible awful child he was and he still kind of goes into this school and like does the right thing even though he's reckless about it and even though he's like a little terrible to Hermione at moments <laughs> um he still kind of does the right thing I feel like that speaks to some really deep good stuff in there I'm not upset with that choice okay and I'm not upset with yours yeah because I almost <laughs> gave it to Hermione I was really stuck between those two okay let's give away the red card red card so the red card in sports, this is for soccer fans or everywhere else outside of America, football, uh, a red card symbolizes a player being ejected from the game. So this is the character we want to get out of here for your show. This is the losers. Okay. Uh, for me, this is Draco. He gets special treatment. He acts like a little D-bag in Snape's class. He bullies Neville multiple times about his remember all. He talks a bunch of crap about how great of a flyer he is, which is typical and annoying. He plays fake tough guy throughout the chapter, which is more annoying. He tried to set Harry up to get caught out of bed rather than backing up the smack talk. He's really just an entitled bully at this point with no redeeming qualities of his own. The only good that can come from him is Harry getting on the Quidditch team and the team discovering the trapdoor and Fluffy. Neither would have happened without Draco's nonsense. So maybe that's redeeming? Well, he didn't intend for any of that. I feel like he's actually super pissed that good things came out of that. <laughs> That's fair. He thought Harry was getting expelled. Exactly. I yeah. also gave it to Draco, actually. So I'm kind of like surprised that neither one of us gave it to Snape. But I just felt like there was more awful stuff from Draco in both of these chapters than with Snape. There was, And honestly, I thought that um, we gave Snape enough crap. There's also I'm that. honest. And I didn't think we gave Draco enough. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I landed. 
Completely with you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that leads us into the final award, which is the Fumble Award. Fumble. So the Fumble Award is not for a character. It's for kind of for the author, kind of for the book themselves, uh, for the chapter. This is a, a fumble, as I'm sure you have heard, uh, is very popular in American football. It's where the guy running with the ball is running and drops the ball. This is where the chapter dropped the ball for me. Ooh. And so I don't have a lot here this week. Um, so I'm going to hit on a few little things to just sort of roll with. One is the zombies. Again, as far as I know, this is our only mention of zombies. So if they're in fact different than in theory, I want to know more. Like how do they become a zombie? If it's not a dark wizard doing it, why didn't they side with Voldemort in the war? In fact, why didn't vampires, for that matter? We don't get any of them either. I'm chalking it up to author hadn't figured out Inferior yet. Uh, that's, I, yes. There's no way they're two different things. Yeah. So the other one that I have is just the whimsical nature of the castle. It's introduced Ooh. with a ton of these trick stairs, fake doors, doors you have to tickle to get them open and <laughs> very little of this actually comes back right you know, the the pair you tickle for the passageway to get to honeydukes or maybe that's the kitchens i don't remember the trick step the gets caught in yeah that we talked about <laughs> yeah. um either way after these chapters the castle sort of becomes a normal castle we can assume the kids just kind of know all the tricks i guess but I think it was just too much to remember and too yes. much that could take away from the momentum of the upcoming plot points. You know, picture this, the battle of Hogwarts while running into a vanishing doorway. Can you like, what the F right? Really? Looney Tunes a little bit. <laughs> Read the room. Yes. Oh, it is. It's classic. Like what is the roadrunner and, and yeah. And Wiley Coyote. Yeah. It's, it's a little like, uh, the line in, one of the previous chapters where Hagrid ties uh, Vernon's shotgun into a bow. It's way too cartoony. It and I really feel like is. that about the beginning of the, like the way the potions master chapter starts, it starts just too cartoony. Yeah. And I think it's realized because a lot of it doesn't stay. That is such a good point. I'm, I'm completely with you. I've never thought of that before, but you're right. It is whimsy. It's like clearly they're only to be whimsical. And I've, the trick stairs always frustrated me because I'm like, what is the function? Like, why does the trick stair exist? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Why do they go somewhere on a different day? Like, I hate the movie where they're actually literally moving. Like, that's dumb. It's just so inefficient. You yeah. Know? And I know they had to figure out a way without the midnight duel to get them to the third floor corridor. And this is not a movie bashing pod. Like, we'll get to the movies. Did you have yes. any moments that stood out to you where you were just like, this just doesn't hook up. You know what I mean? You like moments where what? you kind of WTF the author. <laughs> you know what I hate? I hate the remember all mm. as an object. Just as an object. Yeah. Like what is the purpose of something telling you that you have forgotten something, but not telling you what it is that you have forgotten? Yeah, it's rough. As someone with ADHD, that makes me want to break something <laughs> just like, things just break everything go all hairy end of order of the phoenix on dumbledore's stuff just break yes. everything yeah because mm -hmm. in, there is no universe in which 
if some like if I had a little voice in my head that said, Amanda, you've forgotten something. There's no universe in which I would go, oh, yeah, it I must exactly be this. That is. <laughs> yeah. All it would do is give me anxiety and make me irrationally angry. So I hate the remember all. I'm really glad that it, as far as I can remember, it does not come up again. And I just wish it had been something else because it's a frustrating, completely nonsensical object. <laughs> I yeah, I mm-hmm. worthy fumble award. Moment. Thank you. So with that, we've reached this end, uh, the end of this episode of Belated Binge. And this this has been a lot of fun. So thank you for coming on. Can we possibly pencil you? I'm going to put you on the spot in front of yes. uh, God and everybody. Can we pencil <laughs> you in to come back? Definitely. Oh, I've had a blast. Absolutely. Uh, so shout out to producer Jack, who we work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review if you enjoyed the show. Five stars, please. You can do that on Apple Podcasts on spotify now too and i think somewhere else that i can't remember but um if you're listening and you can see the ability to leave a a review please do so Uh, become a patron over on patreon for early access to ad free episodes and exclusive content and we're also on social media at belated binge on twitter facebook and instagram and our show segments are also available on youtube where you can get in touch with us you can email the show at uh, belatedbinge at gmail.com. And I wanted to give you the opportunity as well to drop links for the Fox and the Fox Town. Oh, hey, thanks. Yeah, a lot of the same info. We are on every platform that you can find podcasts on. Uh, you can find us at thefoxandthefoxhound.com. Our website will link to all of our socials. Um, the only unusual social handle, is, it's all the Fox and the Foxhound, except for Twitter, which is at Fox and Foxhound because of character limits to mm. your Twitter handle. So, See, I thought maybe somebody had already grabbed it. No, no, it's just it's <laughs> too many characters. I was very frustrated by that when I was creating all of the accounts. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, if you're reading along next week, we're going to do chapters 10 and 11 of Sorcerer's Stone. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast. <laughs>